Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning comes from the 10th commandment in Deuteronomy 5, verse 21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Today we consider the last of the commandments. And I think it is valuable to consider the distinction of this law. The Ten Commandments are divided into two tables. The first table is primarily concerned with mankind's duty toward God. No other gods, no idols, no hypocrisy or taking God's name in vain, and keeping the Lord's Sabbaths. The second table is focused on our consequent duties toward our fellow man. Honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie or bear false witness against your neighbor, and this one, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. But if you'll notice, all of these commandments, of all of them, the tenth commandment highlights the depth of the law. All of the other commandments are quite easy to reduce down to external obedience. But this one is inherently concerned solely with internal heart obedience. And it's inescapable. Paul tells us that it was this commandment that convicted him of his need for Jesus. Remember that prior to Paul's conversion, Paul tells us in a couple of different places that he was blameless as regards the righteousness of the law, according to the law. But in Romans 7, Paul tells us, he explains, that wasn't good enough. He says, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness, unless the law had said, you shall not covet. This is precisely because you cannot escape the internal challenge this commandment brings to us. We are all fallen, and thus our hearts are corrupt. Every man who ever lived, when confronted with the absolute holiness of God's law, who then honestly weighs his heart, is absolutely condemned. In Romans we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This commandment moves, thou shalt not do, to thou shalt not desire. Now the easy one is this, God already said, thou shalt not steal. But don't steal becomes, don't wickedly desire. Don't adultery becomes, don't lust. In the, in the Greek, when, when Jesus tells us, don't lust, it's the same word that the Septuagint uses to translate covet. Don't murder becomes, don't be unrighteously angry. And don't bear false witness becomes, instead desire your neighbor's blessing. 
And basically this commandment amplifies all of the rest of them. And it does this in a way that doesn't give any wiggle room to the legalist or the letter of the law hypocrite. It says right here in the Ten Commandments, don't covet. So don't covet what is not yours. And when you consider your own righteousness, judge more than the externals. Judge your heart against God's holy standard of absolute perfection. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please move. today is probably one of the most famous and one of the most misunderstood and misapplied texts in the Bible. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, we can certainly understand the appeal of such a text, at least for anybody who has ever felt like they were the one being judged or criticized or condemned. That makes sense to us that they would quote this verse at whoever they felt was condemning or judging them. In our culture, in our modern individualistic and relativistic culture, this sentiment is pervasive. It's everywhere. How dare you judge? Our culture, our culture tries to teach us that the truth is relative, it's malleable. And every person gets to define what is morally acceptable on their terms. Thus, the definitions of right and wrong are at stake. Homosexual marriage is not wrong. Abortion is a choice. It's not murder. Debt is good for the economy. It's not theft. Cohabitation is healthy, normal, and smart instead of fornication. Secular education is neutral, not indoctrination. And the list goes on and on and on. And our culture tells us, who are you to impose your morality on me? By what standard? Separation of church and state. Keep them apart from each other. Even you Christians have to admit, Jesus said it. Here's the proof text. Black and white, consistently translated. Clear as day. Don't you dare judge me. Judge not, that you be not judged. Isn't it interesting how our sinful hearts are good at latching on to weak arguments when our hard and stubborn heads insist on willful disobedience instead of humility and faithfulness? The problem is that this sort of thinking starts in the church. The same sort of argument is used to justify all sorts of more socially accepted sins in the church. 
selfishness, trying to imitate good stewardship. How dare you judge me? Hypocrisy, dressed up to look like piety. How dare you judge me? Disdain of the poor in the guise of concern for safety or purity. Or pride in the costume of right theology. And this list goes on and on. When we get this wrong, when the church gets what Jesus says wrong, we invite the world to emulate us, to follow in our footsteps. And there's always a grain of truth in the best lies. Jesus does say, judge not. But what does he mean? Let us get into the word and see what the text really says, because we can be certain that it says more than what they would have us believe it says. Our text this morning starts with a principle, and the principle is this. What goes around comes around. I've called this divine reciprocity. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7 in Matthew. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgments you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So this sounds like it's talking about judgment, which it is. Don't judge. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. But it's talking about more than just judgment. Uh, If we look at the parallel passage in Luke 6, verses 37 to 38, we we read that measure includes mercy or grace. Luke 6, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So here we come to definitions. What is Jesus talking about when he says judgment? The Greek verb is krino, and it means to distinguish, or to evaluate, or to discern, or to judge. From this word, we derive our English words critic, or um, to criticize. When Jesus says judge not, the simplest definition of what he means is that he's saying don't have a critical attitude or a critical spirit. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't be critical or harsh toward others. And conversely, to be generous toward others. Now, this is a precursor to the golden rule, which is coming up. And it's also falling right on the heels of Jesus' teaching in on the, on the Lord's Prayer, that you'll be forgiven as you forgive. The principle is clear. Mercy and criticism are in an inverse relationship with each other. There's, there's this kind of um, uh, sliding scale, if you will. You can be merciful, totally merciful on one end. You can be totally critical on the other. But God tells us that where we land on this scale, on this slide... Is, is how we will be considered and judged. 
And because of this principle, Jesus justifies his command. He says, nobody likes to be judged. We don't like that. We don't like to be considered uh, and, and to be criticized. We don't like that. We don't like to be discerned or evaluated or distinguished that way, where people are looking at us and picking us apart and trying to figure out what's wrong with us. But Jesus tells us that, that, that if we don't want to be treated that way, then we must not treat others that way. So that's his principle. But we should take a second and look at what's behind this. Because as in all things, Jesus is our example. He says, judge not, lest you be judged. And then in a minute, he's going to call them hypocrites. Well, isn't he judging? Well, hold on a second. How is Jesus our example? In John 12, Jesus tells us this. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word which I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So Jesus says, I don't judge you. It's my words that judge you. It's my revelation of the Father in heaven that judges you. But I do not. I did not come to condemn or to judge. I came to save. Similarly, in John 5, verse 45, Jesus says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Moses, the law, accuses you. Paul reiterates this in Romans 2. For as many as have sinned without law shall perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. And Jesus sets the foundation for all of this in John 3, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus says, he's our example. And Jesus tells us, do not judge. So what does judging look like? I've already said that the general answer is a critical spirit or a condemning attitude. And you might define it this way. This is judging. The kind of judging Jesus is telling us not to do. It's a self-justifying, arrogant and hypocritical self-perception. It's pride. It's thinking, I'm better than them, and I'm going to condescend to them. And it's combined with an uncharitable, unloving, and harsh critique of our neighbors. So that's what Jesus says not to do. And it can manifest in a host of ways, and I, I referred to a number of them in our introduction. However, this hypocrisy, like other internal and less obvious sins, is hard to put your finger on. It's in our hearts. 
It, but it can be identified because it bears fruit. So what kind of fruit would you be looking for to, to recognize this? Harsh judgment will, will lead to broken relationships. Divisions in the church. Cliques. Factions. Fighting. People feeling shame. People feeling guilty. People defining themselves by their differences instead of by their baptism, by their Lord. And all of these fruits are in direct contradiction to the fruits of the Spirit. But we are not stuck there because Jesus didn't come to condemn us. We can have peace instead of that kind of culture because of divine justice. Judgment is a function of already established divine proclamation. So Jesus tells us, don't be critical. Don't have critical, critical, a critical spirit. Don't be condemning. But proclaim the law. God has already told us what is right and what is wrong. Jesus is reiterating that when he gives his gospel to the people of, of Israel. God has given us his law, and it condemns enough. The condemnation is there. And God will enforce his law in his own good time. Paul tells us in Romans 14, which is a great passage about body life. It's, it's talking about the different, different groups of people and you know, observing a day, not observing a day, etc. But this is what Paul tells us. He says, who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And a little further in, but why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Now this principle is glorious. Because God is in control and God judges everything and everyone, he sees perfectly and he understands perfectly in a way that we will never ever be able to do. So when that final day comes and, and we all stand at God's judgment seat, he knows our heart of hearts. And he can distinguish between somebody who was raised right but wasn't really walking with him was just the inherent, somebody who had just inherited a, 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 a whole culture of faithfulness and yet turned away from him. Or somebody who was a rank pagan and God called him to faithfulness. And in his life may be really ugly, but his life had true faith and true courage. Even post-faith, post, post, uh, post, uh, after he's received, Christians aren't all on the same playing field. They're not all on the same level in their, 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 their standard of holiness. But God knows each and every one of us, and he knows all of our particulars. And he judges. And because God judges, we don't have to. If we give ourselves over to him, if we give ourselves wholly and completely into his hands, we can rest in his assurances of deliverance, 
and justice and vengeance. We can patiently wait and pray for His will. And then the principle of divine reciprocity leaves us with this reality. If we will do that, if we'll submit to Him, we can expect His grace. If we will do that, if we will not judge our brother, because we trust Him to do that, then He will be kind and gracious in His love towards us. But if we are judgmental and critical, we can expect the same from God, and the same rings true in this world, from our fellow man. Because that's the way God designed our world. So now we come to specks and planks, verses 3 through 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So as I said just a little bit ago, the Word of God is what judges. The law judges. And by that law, we are all guilty and all deserving of damnation. Now this is pertinent when it comes to judging our fellow man. Our attempts to remove the speck from a brother's eye are our attempts to bring bring that law to bear, to apply holiness to him, to, 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 to make him a better person. And um, Jesus, but Jesus' hyperbole here is all about hypocrisy. He says, so think about it, you've just got a speck and somebody comes in with a two-by-four sticking out of their eye and they want to take care of your speck. Well, that's not going to work very well. Now, what's, what's the plank? What is the problem with somebody coming along and trying to judge you and then have a, having the plank, the proverbial plank, in their eye? What is the plank? The plank is hypocrisy. And it's hypocrisy because hypocrisy is worse than arrogant or ignorance or misunderstanding. It is the plank. The commandment of the law is love. Love God and love your neighbor. And it would seem that trying to help a brother out with his speck is a loving thing to do. Right? you got a speck in your eye. Let me help you out. It would seem that's a very loving thing to do. But doing that out of hypocrisy is anything but loving. And how do you, how do you define hypocrisy then? Hypocrisy is, is, is judging motivated by anything other than love of God and love of your neighbor. So if you're motivated by moral outrage, because, or if you're motivated by, a, your, your, if your sensibilities are offended, and so you're going to you know, fix everybody around you, and you've you got to criticize and judge, and you've got to discern, so you're going to make things right, but you're going to create your own little human kingdom. Because if we're motivated by anything other than love of God, and congruent love of neighbor, we are not helping our neighbor, and it would make us like the scribes and the Pharisees in this passage. This is where Jesus is, is uh, warning them. Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel 
land and sea to win one track proselyte. Land, that's, I mean, they are working hard to take that speck out. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. The worst atrocities in history have been committed by those who believe that they were doing the right thing. Think about that. The worst and most vile stories of history come from people that they're, they're trying their righteous indignation. The Jews murdered Jesus for the sake of the nation. They justified it. Nazis exterminated Jews in order to create and preserve a master race. It was, it was their chief end. It was to them a good thing. Stalin killed millions for the sake of the greater good. Today the Islamic State is seeking to eradicate Jews, Yazidis, Shiites, and Christians within their borders with religious fervor and zeal. The whole time yelling, God is great. The problem is that unless we allow the God of Scripture to be our God and to define our terms and, to sub and unless we submit to His judgment we cannot judge righteously. We can't see clearly. We are blind. We have a plank in our eye. And we get it wrong. And we get it so wrong because we are sinners. We need the only remedy for that that is available. And that is Jesus Christ. We need His love. We need to humbly submit to His Word and His rule in our lives. Which brings us to the question, should we judge? Should we judge? Now, our culture, for libertarian reasons, says no. Leave me alone. You keep your religion in your church or in your closet or out of my face and out of my life. Don't judge me. The hypocrites say, yes, we need to tell everybody what you need to do. We're going to fix the world our way. Might makes right. Believe or the sword. Our God says, yes. He says, judge, but how are we supposed to judge? Only those who are judged are qualified to judge. We must first take the plank out of our own eye. We must first be in humble submission to him. In Galatians 1, Paul tells the Galatians, he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. 
considering yourself lest you be tempted. God says, yes, discern what is wise. Discern what is right. Discern what is good. Take the speck out of your brother's eye. In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. Paul also tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brother? Yes, we judge. We judge because we are bearing witness of our God. But our judgment is a judgment of love. A judgment of charity. It's a judgment that's taken place. It's it's loving. It's 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 confrontation that is a loving confrontation. It's a confrontation that is intended to bring restoration and grace. It's a confrontation that's intended to restore peace and life and love. The law remains the law of love. We do not judge. We do not have a critical spirit criticize. We bear witness to the one who does judge. The word says, mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That's our divine reciprocity again. And then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Overcome evil with good. Jesus dies for sinners. So now we come to some wisdom principles regarding judgment. And we've already covered how not to judge. Don't do it out of pride. Don't do it critically. And don't do it hypocritically. So let's flesh out a little bit of how then ought we to judge. In humility. In humility. Don't think that you're above the sin that you are judging. Don't think that you're smarter than the person who's committing that sin. Don't think that you're greater than that person. Don't think that you're wiser than that person. Don't think that you're better than others. The only thing separating you from their sins, the only thing, is God's grace. It's the only thing. It's keeping us from that ditch. There, but for the grace of God, go I. So be humble in your dealings with others. Be humble in sharing the gospel. Be humble in bringing people's attention to the truth of what the law says about their lives. Second, love. Love your neighbor. Clear sight is love. Why do you want to remove the speck from your brother's eye? 
What is motivating them? Question your motives. Question your heart. Look at yourself. Are you doing it because you love him? You genuinely desire his best interests. You genuinely want to help him. You genuinely want to restore him and his fellowship and his communion in this body. Are you trying to play God or are you trying to be like God? Jesus humbled himself. He came down to our level so that we could see and we could understand what he expects from us. And he did it for us. And now we come to some practical considerations. We start with judging other cultures. It's an easy thing for us to just make blanket statements of about other cultures. Islam. Or the Islamic State. Or our government. Or uh, Western imperialistic greed. And just, just make blanket statements about, about these things. But Paul tells us that's none of our business. We will judge the world, but that's something that's coming as something that we do through Christ and in Christ at the end of the times. But, but in this world, Paul says this, just before he said that we were supposed to judge, that we we're going to judge the world, he says this, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside, but those who are outside, God judges. It's not our problem. It's, not, it's another culture. Our problem, our job, is to clearly portray and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our job is to declare the principles of the kingdom of heaven. Our job is to believe in what Jesus says, is and says and does. And our job is to tell the world about that. Don't worry about criticizing and judging other cultures. We can discern that our, it is not our responsibility to look down our noses at those around us, no matter how messed up they are. They are human, and they have God's image imprinted upon them, and they have the hope of the gospel if we will share it with them. There's value in them. They are not garbage. They're people. God created them. He, put, he puts food on their table. They're like the Ninevites that God sends Jonah to. He says, he says preach my message to, my, to, to these people. And God relents of the destruction that he was going to send on them. This is not condemning judgment. This is a great promise of good news. It's the gospel. And it applies to all unbelievers in all places. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the backwoods of the Amazon and some naked tribe. It doesn't talk, matter if we're talking about a modern-day first-world country that, in Europe that's lost the gospel. They're consisting of people, and these people are eternal beings that we need to see with, the, with God's eyes, the eyes of love. Which means we declare the lordship of King Jesus, and we declare his gospel, and we warn them about the judgment that is coming, but it's not our job to judge them. 
All unbelievers are in desperate need of the living water that God causes to spring up within us. Which brings us to Christian living. That's our business. That is our business. Judging within the body. Judging with charity and love. Building one another up. The law is love. By all means, help your brother out with the speck in his eye. But this is love. And he should, he should be able to recognize the love in it. He should be able to see and understand how you really care about his well-being. And though this is a struggle for him, whatever the sin is that you're helping him out with, he knows at the bottom of his heart that you genuinely care and love him. That's what Christian living is all about. And then we must be wise. We must be wise in our discernments within the Christian body. Because we live in a very complex and complicated world. Not all things are, all, are, are equal. I, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, C.S. Lewis gives a, a beautiful picture of this in, in Mere Christianity. He says, um, For a guy with a deathly fear or phobia of cats to help a little kid get his cat out of a tree, I'm not getting it exactly right, but you're getting the picture. That is far more courage. That requires far more courage than for somebody who wins a, a medal for, 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 for courage on the battlefield if that wasn't their personal challenge, if that was just the way they were geared, or if that's the culture that they were brought up in. God sees and understands all the details and the particulars. He judges the details. And Paul tells us very crystal clearly, he says, he says the law is love. Don't judge, don't condemn your brother. He says, if, if he, who, he who recognizes the day, if he gives God thanks, glory be to God. He who doesn't recognize the day, if he gives God thanks, glory be to God. He who eats, he who doesn't eat. If you're giving God the glory and the thanks, God sees in our hearts and he judges wisely and recognizes faithfulness and blesses it. And we need to trust him in Christian liberty issues. We need to trust him in Christian liberty issues. Where the Bible is not crystal clear, where defining sin is not black and white, we must not be absolute. We must show grace for those who are less mature. In Paul's day, that was eating meat sacrificed to idols. In our day, it's something different, and in the future, it's going to be something different. But the point is maturity and grace and love. Showing your brother love. Because remember that grace is patient and God loved us while we were still sinners. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. table we celebrate the mercy and the judgment of God. God judged our sin.
Here, when we look at the cross, we see it rightly condemned and sentenced to death and annihilation. Our Lord and loving Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered and died because He became the sacrifice that our sins required. This is justice. And here we commemorate His death. And at the same time, we confess our own absolute dependence upon Him. His punishment is ours. We confess our guilt and need for Him at this table. But we also identify with Him. And we do this in order that we may participate in His glorious resurrection. Because we die with Him, we live with Him. The story didn't end at the cross. God defined history at Easter. Our God is the God of the living, and He gave life to the dead. Thus, we celebrate His mercy, too. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We couldn't keep the law, so God did it for us. We couldn't pay the penalty, so God did it for us. We couldn't turn our lives around, so He does it for us. And in this meal, we eat and drink, and in these actions, we are knit into the body of Christ by grace, through faith, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God does it for us. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.